Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Susie Ruffle, who is a comedian in the UK. We had a really interesting conversation. We discussed the difficulties of being a road comic, the differences between being a road comic and being a festival comic, and uh, her experience talking about her life and uh, coming from a place of... Uh, well, I mean, I'll let you listen, but a place of what sounds like relative poverty and hardship and talking about that on stage in a way that uh, manages to be funny without making people feel sorry for you. So we talk about the problems of, of that, of asking for for your audience to identify with you, but also recognise your differences and what's funny about the, the different... Well, what's funny about something that's similar to you, something that you recognise yourself in versus something that's strange to you, where, where where you draw the line in your comedy or how you go back and forth between those things, those those sort of observational things that we all know about ourselves uh, or we recognise when a comedian draws attention to them and the things that are funny because they're strange to you as an audience. We had a, a really nice chat in the Soho Theatre Bar and uh, I really like Susie. I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation I had with her. If you are a subscriber on Patreon, thank you so much uh, to new subscribers. It's fantastic to feel supported. You pay for the tea and for the hosting costs of this podcast. It makes my life a lot easier. We're expanding this year um, thanks to the AMP grant and uh, also to the Patreon subscribers. It's going to let me do some video content, which is exciting to me. If you want to talk to me, email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com. That's the email address. Or at alliterative on Twitter, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. If you have a message that can be conveyed within the character limit. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to let you get on with this podcast. I'll see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Do you want to introduce yourself and say what you're drinking? Yeah, of course. My name's Susie Ruffle and I'm having a cappuccino. Uh, against the ethos of the podcast, but I'll, ex- I'll allow it this time. I've already had about four teas today because I've been writing in my house. Uh, and that's all I drink at home. So coffee when I'm out, tea when right. I'm indoors. Is that, that okay? That's a logically consistent position. I'll allow it. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Have a sip. Uh, so w- what have you been uh, thinking about recently? That I've been writing. Uh, so I'm writing my fourth show at the moment after taking my third one up to Edinburgh because that's how counting works and um, I don't know I think the thing that I'm sort of trying to do I feel like I've I've found what I'm good at talking about and now it's just doing more of that yeah it's difficult with if you're trying to write about the same subject in a way that you've already yeah touched like, on. yeah because I, I, I think in my first two shows certainly I, um, in my first show, I was sort of doing an impression of what I thought a comic should be like. And there were moments of it that I would stand by saying that I think it's still funny and that were relevant to me at the time and who I was in the world at that point. And then my second show is, I guess, getting closer to me. And then this show that I've just done is the one where I'm like, oh, this is what I'm good at. I'm good at talking about my family. I'm good at talking about being very open on stage, being very honest. But... Um, but now I'm like, oh, okay, now I need to do that again, but different. Yeah. And then how do you do that? The yeah. Well, I mean, I imagine to a certain extent some of the circumstances will change and you, who you are in the world will change slightly. Yeah. But when it, when, with, sort of be, with do it being... Not that I would consider myself to be a festival comic. I'm very much like a club actor that does the festivals as well and that does a lot of different things. But I make my living in the, the sort of... In, on the circuit in the clubs. And... I think when you're, you know, you're, it's not like you have like four years and then you write a new show about where you are. It's like, I'm 12 months on from where I wrote my last show. So my life's changed a bit and I've had some ups and downs and I've had some anecdotes that I can tell people about. Yeah. But a lot of my anecdotes are, so I was doing this gig and yeah. like you don't want to start stuff like, like that. that. You don't want to be that, I don't want to be that person that's either talking about being on stage or on my way to a show. Um, and so, yeah, I guess my thing I've realised recently is that I need to have time off. Yeah, so that you can actually do, do things and be a person. Yeah, my, my whole act is um, me, it is, is sort of a, a storytelling observationalist. Yeah. So I'll have moments where I, you know, might deconstruct an observational thing or do something silly with a thing. I'll have like 
some big act outs. I'll do a few different voices. I'll have like a couple of characters in the show that are, that are real people in the world, my parents or someone like that or a teacher. And um, yeah, I guess the um, thing that I find tricky is keeping it, I don't know, make, making it feel relevant and new, but then when also my life hasn't changed that much. Yeah, I get that. I mean, you get comedians who sort of deliberately do insane things or yeah. throw themselves into yeah, yeah, uncomfortable yeah. situations or just behave really badly so that yeah, they can yeah. have... Yeah, I've done that before by accident. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, I, I, I'm taking more time off this year. I knew that I had worked too much last year when I had... Um, like my sort of end of year meeting with my agent who is wonderful and is a, a great friend as well and her sort of notes to me on our whole year of work and what we'd done and like you know I was very happy with my, my last year of work her, her point to me was so I think that you should maybe you know book more holidays maybe have more time off which I think is quite a rare thing for an agent to say but I think that I'm at my best when I'm like Oh, here's a thing that happened. Yeah. The, here's a situation that I was in. Is there a way of doing that? So you're maybe doing more overseas gigs and building some holidays in yeah, around I, that? Yeah, I would love to do that. I would love to come over and do the Aussie festivals. Yeah. Uh, that would be great. Uh, at some point, I really, really hope to do that. I'm going to New Zealand for the whole of February because my partner is a Kiwi. And I just decided to have a month off. Yeah. I'm just like, wow, it's super hot there. And I'll just read a book. And oh, New Zealand isn't that hot. But it's uh, this time of year, it'll be... Hey. I mean, compared to here, yes, fine. It's very hot. I mean, I'll get a tan. You will get a tan, yes. I mean, I don't There's want no it to be like. Layer there. I don't want it to be like. You before we started recording, you were like, "Oh, it's too hot in Australia at the moment." Like, I don't want that. That's true. I want it like hot enough so I can get in the sea and then I can like dry in the sun. Yeah, fair enough. That's all I want. Whereabouts does your partner live in New Zealand? Her family are from um, from near Auckland. Uh, very nice. That's so a very it's nice area. Beautiful, it's beautiful, and it's like you know, it looks like you're in a postcard. How long have you been together? Have you met the family before? Yep, yep, met the fam before. They love, they're lovely. They're a huge fan of me, which is great. That's um, good. You're already on the right foot there. On the right foot, yeah. It really made the. Uh, they've come over to stay with us a couple of times separately, um, and. Uh, Really putting in the legwork early doors with the parents is really great. Oh, it makes your so life so much easier. So much easier. Also, they're great people, so it's really easy to go on with them. So, But yeah, potentially there'll be some material about that and some, who, who knows? You have to work on your New Zealand accent. Your yeah. Aussie's pretty good. My Aussie's not bad. I can, I'm pretty good with accents, but Aussie is, there are certain words that I can say in Kiwi because it's funny. Yeah. Like her saying to me, oh, dad's had his dick done for when we go out there. And it's like, that sounds like dick and she's saying deck. And I don't care how long I work in comedy, that will always be that funny to me. That will always be funny. That will, will never not be, be funny. No, that's the thing. So, um, yeah, so, I'm, that, so that's the thing that I'm trying to do. I guess more than wrestling with ideas and structure and... Uh, having stuff to do like stuff to come up with and being uh, sort of I'm not prolific as a writer but I always try and write a few ideas down every week many of which will just stay in a notepad some of which will then be found in that notepad two years later and go oh that's a thing I, yeah. I wasn't ready to write that thing yet but um, more than anything for me it's like it's my time management well I mean this really career thing. can be very unsustainable yeah. It's a matter, you know, it's, you can burn out in it quite oh, easily. Oh, jeez. I, like, spend so much time, like, knackered from driving. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm, I guess what an American might call a road comic at yeah. the moment. I, I play all of the clubs and I tour my own stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm out of, I live in London and I'm out of London sometimes as much as six nights a week. Yeah. And that might be anything from like a 20 minute train ride outside of London to like the other side of the country. Yeah. Um, which can be, that can be really challenging to sort of carve out time to write. Because yeah. also you need time to like not, you need time to like not be a comic. Like to be with people that aren't comics and to be like, it's okay if after having a really long week to like a Thursday lunchtime, like, binge watch a, a box set because everybody else has time off in the night times but you if you're travelling to a show and then doing a show like I don't know I find that's the thing that's 
it's been, it's took me quite a long time to allow myself like the permission to have time off yeah well it's difficult because being a comic it's a lot of what you do is who you are and a lot of who you are is what you do so yeah it's, completely it's hard to i mean uh, my brother said this to me before of just like stop talking about work and I, i'm not talking about work i'm talking about ideas but ideas are yeah work. what you're thinking about is work what you see is work as you say if you're an observational comedian yeah, yeah. like even for you at this point taking holidays yeah. is work what you need to do for your work yeah. is is yeah. take a holiday and that's the thing i think that's the problem with this job is that i think for same i guess for everyone Everyone that's in comedy to a degree, 90%, 99%, like it would have started as a hobby because no one, it's, not, it's never your job immediately. Yeah. And then when something you love becomes your job, you know, you, I don't know, you've got to do other hobbies so that you don't become. Well, also, I mean, for us particularly, the difference between being a workaholic and being a narcissist is not. No. And you sort of, do you have to be a workaholic to be successful in this game? Like, I feel like most, like, I've, you know, I've got a lot of friends that have, have got, like, you know, really exciting careers and they're having really wonderful moments. Um, and I think all of them are probably workaholics because they've had to be. Yeah. Yeah, because by the time. And you can't ever really relax. No. And, like, you can never. You've, yeah, you've, like, there's, there's so many people that want to do this job that you constantly feel like, oh, you need to like jump on things. You need to make sure, like, you know, not that it's, not in a competitive way, but in like a, well, you know, I took a show to the festival last year. I got some really nice reviews. It felt like things were building for me. I now have to go back to the next festival because that's how things build. Yeah, momentum is so incredibly important. And timing. Yeah. Like, I've known people that have had things happen too early in their career or you know I don't think anything I think it was Chris Rock that said enough opportunities never happen too late yeah but I think that they're you know feeling like you're prepared for whatever the next gig job whatever comes about like I think that's something that is can be quite um, stressful and I guess because of that you're yeah. like, oh, well, I'll, I'll keep doing the work so that... Yeah, it's. I mean, for me, the, the problem is is I, you, I never feel prepared. I, I have that imposter oh, really? syndrome thing. But yeah. it's about holding yourself open and being available and willing. And that's actually quite a, it's a hard process. It's Yeah, 100%. It's, it's really hard to be like... Especially when you're doing like stuff that is like I know that you do sort of like storytelling stuff that's based on like your own life sort of thing isn't it? Uh, yeah vaguely yeah I I, uh, I always feel weird about being called a storyteller even though I understand that here it's something slightly different from oh right okay so at home it's like you don't have to be funny to be a storyteller yeah exactly sure, and, sure, it's sure. And, and, and the kind of people who call themselves a storyteller are a very kind of swishy right. scarf big earring type person okay sure 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 so would you say that you're sort of okay so a word that I like to use myself is a confessional comic uh, interesting. A reviewer called me a confessional comic once, and I really liked that. But that's the thing of like opening yourself up that much to an audience can be terrifying and exhausting. And you've also got to like, you can't tell everyone everything. Yeah. And like working out what to keep back for yourself and working out what it's okay to tell people. Yeah, well, and, and, and also knowing that if you carve a very thin line through your experience, which you have to do, you can't tell yeah. everyone everything because you live in a three-dimensional, four-dimensional yeah. plane. So you, you choose one line through it, but then that becomes the story. Yeah. That becomes the, the official narrative because yeah, you've course. left everything else out. Yeah. And that can be... And you have to do that because that's the only way that things, for me, are funny. Like, you know, my opinion on my relationship with my girlfriend, for example, can often provide quite a lot of material. Yes. But that's because it's just my story. If I then went, oh, by the way, I'm she this really difficult person to live with, blah, blah, If I gave you both sides, you'd be like, oh, well, that just sounds like a normal relationship. Yeah. It's like, well, that, no one's interested in listening to stuff about a normal, average relationship. Like, it needs to sound well, it needs interesting to be, or it needs to have a thing. Yeah, that, it like, needs to be simple enough that people can follow it yeah. and have enough space in it that people can engage with it and put their own stories in. Totally. And, you know, feel you know, that they have had a similar experience. If you describe your experience too fully, then that's They're just like, your oh, experience. Okay, cool. Well, you're as boring as me. Why have you got a mic? Yeah, thanks for telling me. Yeah, yeah like that's the thing. Like you always have to have that thing of like being... No, you don't have to. I mean, what do I know? I would be the first person to be like, I don't even really know what I'm doing, but I just really love it. Um, but... Yeah, you want to be like... I'll take everything as opinion rather than yeah, fact. <laughs> yeah, if you could, that'd be great. Uh, but yeah, that thing of like, I guess, every, if everyone... 
it, it, comics need to be like is, is enough like an audience for them to engage but then enough different to be like oh interesting yeah. you're interesting or you've got a different take on things yeah I, th I was thinking about this about about stories and storytelling and narratives is is that there has to be a place for the audience or the reader in the in the narrative they right. have to know where they fit whether in an audience it's to laugh or to respond or to yeah, yeah and it's you can do that either by making them feel like you or making them feel enough different that they start to know who they are right like if if, if you think of them you know, if you're reading a story about a real villain who's horrible, yeah, that's a fun story to read because you think, well, I'm not like that in these ways. Or yeah, if there's sure, someone sure, who's sure. like you, then you can sort of fit yourself in. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah, I guess that's yeah, that's the same with with jokes. And it, you know, your specific relationship is going to be funny both when it's strange because that's funny. Strangeness yeah. is funny, but also when in the strangeness there's something deeply, deeply, deeply familiar. Yeah, and I think that's what audiences often love of something being you know it's how my god like you know michael mcintyre has become one of the biggest selling comics in the ever. world yeah. yeah it is by him going we all do this thing and i i i love mcintyre i think he's brilliant i love all different types of stand-up but i really love observational stuff and i think that you know he, his routines that he has that are you know just about simple family stuff that we all and like Picking out the minutiae of it, I think, is well for such me. It's astonishing skill. that he manages to keep doing essentially the same thing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And like I saw his, um, I saw his most recent tour, and you're like, fuck! How do you still have? How are you still finding things that? Yeah. You know, I saw him at the O2, and so that's like, I think it's like sixteen thousand or like fifteen thousand. Maybe Jeez. with seats, it's like thirteen thousand people. And, like, how have you found something that, you know, 99% of the people in this room are going, oh, I do that. Yeah. And, like, making it that relevant. Or yeah. my wife does that or my friend does that. After uh, decades Yeah, more. after, like, yeah, 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 more than a decade of doing that. Every year. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, you it's know, so I feel like observational comedy is a really easy thing, certainly for, like, the comedy elite to, like, really put Look their down. nose up at. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I think there's, you know, I think, that's the great thing about comedy is that I think there's so many brilliant things in so many different styles in comedy. I think that's... I, I, I don't know what it's like in Australia, uh, but I can tell you that, like, the open mic circuit here, I remember when I started, which was about six years ago now, it would be very much like, are you a fan of Stuart Lee or are you a fan of Michael McIntyre? Yeah. Like, what kind... Are you commercial, clubby really uh, access like you know almost too accessible for what people think or are you like a smart comic that really thinks about st like yeah. as if like as in as if one was a really great thing and one was terrible and it's like well no you can like all things and you could want and you can want to have a flavor of all things in the stand-up that you do but I guess that's then the thing that is sometimes my uh, not gripe but my thing that I find difficult is that I go oh well I love all different types of, types of stand-up, does that mean that what's my next show going to be? Yeah. Am I going to go more political or am I going to do something that's really hugely accessible or something that is character-based or something that's... But probably just be more stories and me doing my mum's voice because it's, <laughs> it's basically funny. worked now. It's funny. That's what works. Yeah, it's, what, it's working for me at the moment, yeah. Yeah, I end up sort of doing a lot of different things in the same show. Uh -huh. Which can be a good thing and can be a bad thing because yeah. it, it presents what people come out of feeling is, you know, they've seen a lot of different things and there's a sort of a complexity to that and yeah. tying it all together in a way that makes sense. That's that's nice. It's a nice experience for the audience. But at the same time, it makes it very difficult for someone to go, what did you see? I saw bam, bam, bam. Yeah. You know, elevator pitch. You can't. It's when you have to write your blurb for your shows. Mm. It's for that read. Like, you know, what is your, like, you know, when you have to be like, I'm just a girl. I'm, I'm a girl that does this, this, and this, and like, I'm. Yeah. She'll be this. Like, you know, do you like this? Well, then you're like this, and it's really hard to. Well, I was, I was thinking about this. I'm trying to pitch. Uh, well, I'm pitching my show to the ABC because yeah, yeah. in Australia they they picked it up as an hour show, and I'm uh -huh. pitching it as a series, great. which is great and a lot Amazing, of fun. Amazing, yeah. Uh, but then you know they, they ask the question of like, well, what? Why should people want to watch you? And the answer is uh, because I'm good. Like there's not. Yeah. Do you think they ask that question to everyone? I think they do. 
unless it's really obvious what it is. But yeah. it, that's a hard thing to answer. And it's so difficult. Like, I think certainly with like what I do and with like, I guess sort of like British comedy, I don't like, it might be the same in Oz as well, but like so much of what I do or like maybe not not what I do um, wouldn't necessarily be the first thing you'd think when you thought of my stand-up, but something that's certainly part of the backbone of my stand-up would be uh, a self-deprecation. Yeah. And then you're put in a situation where you're like, okay, tell us why you're brilliant. And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm probably not. I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry I even tried to do it. Like, yeah. There's that thing of, I don't know, like trying to... Yeah, I find that I find that sort of thing of like when like the PR machine starts for Edinburgh, or like currently I'm I'm about to do a run at the Soho, and um, doing like lots and lots of interviews and so that thing of going. So so what is it that you do? How would you describe your your stand-up? What is it? You know, why should someone come and see your show? Of course, I go well. People seem to laugh and it got nice reviews, but if you don't want to, don't worry about it. Like yeah, it's, yeah. That, it's, it's really hard. It's I really th- hard because... I think there are very few, or there are some, but there are very few comedians who are also good at PR. Yeah. Because I think to be as sort of arrogant and pushy as you need to be to be good at PR... Yeah. You can't really have... And again, some people manage it, but it's hard to have the same like self-reflection and self-criticism that yeah, you need yeah. to be a good stand-up. You need to be able to like see yourself for what you are to a certain extent. Yeah, and also like I feel like a lot of the time um, I'm like so over-aware of my of what I do sort of socially or with people that I don't really know, or I'm I'm like acutely aware of it because a lot of the stuff that I write about is about human interaction. So I know what like a sideways view or a, a sideways look at how people correspond to each other. Yeah. Um, like, you know, so then I'm aware of like, oh, well, I hope they don't think that I'm doing that thing. Oh. Because I'm really aware of people doing a thing like that because I've written routines about like, you know, I, I've, I've had routines in the past about like, you know, trying to be like a people pleaser and be like, hey, how's it going? Like, you know, trying to do that thing. And so, well, don't, don't do that because you, you know that you notice people doing that so people will notice you doing that. And yes. so that, I'm always scared of, you know, less so with podcasts like this, but like, you know, when things are like sort of recorded or things can be taken out of... Um, out of context. Yeah, or like doing an interview where you're, you know, you, when people don't hear tone. Yeah, that's really... The, yeah, the... the um, like a soundbite. Yeah. Par- paralinguistic cues are like the face and yeah, 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 all totally, of that stuff yeah. just doesn't or being exist like, you know, in like, oh, why should come to my show? Because uh, I'm brilliant. Yeah. Like, that is very different to someone going, because I'm brilliant. Yeah. Like, it's, and it's, so, it's, it's, it's subtle. The tone of voice, the expression, yeah. the body language, all, all of those stuff. things. All that stuff. And so that's really, uh, can be really tricky, I think, in how to, I don't know, be, because you want to be, well, not you, I, is I want to be sort of quite authentic as a comic and I like the fact that I do this sort of confessional thing on stage where I, I do, you know, I talk about, talk quite openly and quite honestly about things and I think that's really interesting and that's the kind of stand-up that I love. Mm. Um, but, you know, you don't want to then lessen it somehow by coming across like a bit... Uh, like throw away in an interview or saying that like you know because the, the the subject matter of my most recent show part of it was uh, my dad spent a, a very very minute part of uh, my childhood only only a month or so in prison and part of the show is about people having to make bad making bad decisions when they're left with no choices yeah. so that I, I wanted to write a thing about uh, the idea that um morals are such a nice idea but that everyone comes at a price yes. and my dad found his price and it was keeping his his kids and his his kids and his wife fed and keeping his uh his house and i'm very uh i want to let let the listener know immediately he didn't do anything that was that bad yes just did something that was quite dodgy yeah and well a month in prison is yeah, yeah right so it's not he was just he just it's not stupid. breaking someone's knees yeah yeah exactly right and but that's, uh, but I didn't want to like I wouldn't I wouldn't talk about that in interviews because that could be misconstrued and that could be written in a way that my dad might end up reading or my dad might end up seeing. Yeah. And the 
part of the point of the show and part of the thing that I really wanted people to hear was that like, you know, we're so quick to judge people that are on like lower, like, you know, that, that, that are on lower social, economical uh, planes or people that, you know, are, are super poor, people that have to be on benefits. You know, we're so quick to go, oh, well, they do that or they're that kind of person or that's what they do. And it, I really wanted to put like a human light on that. Yeah. About you know about sometimes shit things happen to people. Yeah, but you've then got to be really careful in a the writing of it. Like it took me a really long time to get the story about my dad right because the audience felt quite sorry for me. Oh yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, I can Yeah, I and understand that. So I then had to do. I had to like make sure that routine about me being six and I found out in the playground that my dad was in prison a girl said oh I'm sorry about your dad and my mum told me that he was skiing which of course gives for a lovely routine <laughs> um, but that's absolutely true and and like the realisation of me being like oh that oh my, my that, that's what's happening to my dad at the moment he's in, a, in an Italian prison for doing something naughty and I found out about it in school and I I'm okay with it. I don't judge my dad one bit for what happened. I think that he made a bad decision when he was given no choices. Yeah, like when I'm, there were only bad decisions. Yeah, I was fine with it. Uh, but an audience are really quick to be like, oh, God, there's a, you know, a, a young-ish girl on stage talking about this thing that happened to her when she was six. And I had to find the right point in the show where I had to have made them laugh consistently enough. That, that and it comes in at around the 35-minute mark. And I found if I put it in any earlier, the audience wouldn't go with it. That's really really weird. So I wanted to open with it. I wanted it to be like the, this is what the show's about. Because the show's called Common, and this is what it's about. But I had to set up my whole world, set up how I was okay in my world, the life that I had, the relationship that I had with my dad. I used. To, I came up in the Sydney University comedy scene where there was. It was sort of Napoleon Dynamite era. Sure. People, uh, and that's when I was doing improv and sketch. But there was a, a fashion for being like awkward, deliberately awkward, mm. and like, oh, you know, what, what, yeah, that yeah, yeah. on stage. And I can't. It doesn't work for me. Yeah. People feel sorry for me. Yeah. So I, my style is m- quite dominant and alpha male, and my body language but is, is that very a big and thin. I don't know because there weren't many other women who were doing it, but I think it was, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know, but people, maybe I'm just a good actor yeah. and people thought I really was uncomfortable. Yeah, I, it's hard. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, I, 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 I don't, I, that's I, me upping myself. I'm a great actor. That's no, I like it. Uh, you need to. <laughs> uh, but um, I think that that's... Um, I don't want to get into like male, female comedy thing, but I do think there is, certainly for someone that makes their livings in a club environment that can be very masculine and can be very alpha. Yeah. I have to go, have to too strong. I like to go on with a lot of chutzpah and a yeah. lot of like an edge. Yeah, well, like, there is that. You can't fuck with me. Or you can try. Absolutely, you need to address whether they're right or not that there's going to be some audiences who are going to look at you as though you might be weak. And yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, we've all had it, haven't we? And like, every female comic in the country and your country and, indeed, any country will have had a moment where someone comes up to them and goes, I don't usually like female comics, yeah. but I really liked you. And that's just because there's, you know, they're, 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 there are lots of us now, but once upon a time there wasn't as many of us. There's a whole trajectory for what a, a, a man, do, you know, from open micing to doing the next thing to doing the next thing. There's, there's, a, there's a well-worn road that men go down it is slightly different for women i but think it's th- it's partly because comedy is so much about personality and 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 groups and, and you book people or you want to watch people who are like you you think people are funny because they're like you or yeah, they're, yeah. They're, 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 they're and so it's not it's not overt sexism so much as it just is the in-group that exists of like yeah. these are my guys who do i want to hang out with backstage is a lot of what happens yeah yeah, yeah. and i think that's the thing that and i think that's you know going on strong has been, I've like sort of, with the last show and certainly with like what I'm doing um, sort of night on night at the moment, playing clubs is becoming meaner. Uh, Not edgier. Yeah, not to the audience. I don't like, I'm not like, oh, look at your shirt. Like I hate all of that. But um, for a long time, I was really desperate for the audience to like me. Yeah, okay. And I've recently got to a place where I've sort of gone, 
don't get me wrong. I don't think I'm the best comic. I don't think I'm anywhere near that. I don't, I don't even. I don't think I'm the best. At hopefully, what I'm going to be. I hope that I become much, much better than this. But I have got to a stage where I've gone. Ah, fuck you. I'm, I'm right. I'm. I'm good. At, I'm good enough at this. Yeah. I'm good at this. I'm good enough at this to go on with the confidence of a sort of mediocre white straight man. Like I, yeah. I've got. Like you know, I'm. I, I do this thing now and some people will like me and some people will love me and some people will hate me and, yeah. s- and some people will be indifferent about me and that's fine as well but just having that energy to be able to go on and be like I'm not going to try and do the comedy that you that you want me to do I'm just going to do what I do I'm well I'm going to give you what I do and you're going to like it yeah I'm going to give you what I do and yeah and I, and I, like, you know, I hope you like it and I hope you will have a great time but I'm not going to try and make what I do fit what you think a comic should be yeah I see that there's a really interesting uh, speech that John Cleese gave, I think at MIT or one of these American universities uh-huh. about creativity. And he said one of the things that happens is um, in, in if you get a meeting which is full of the same type of person, so mm-hmm. say for, for the sake of normalness, uh, it's a meeting of middle-aged white men in suits. Yeah. They will come out after a two-hour meeting having had a great time and feeling like they've had like a really great meeting of minds and that they've come up with these great solutions. And if you get a group of incredibly diverse people across backgrounds, genders, yep. uh, education, they will have a screaming shit fight for two hours and come out all really annoyed, but having come up with really, really, really interesting yeah. things. And I think that works for lineups too and backstage rooms. And it's what what's comfortable and easy isn't necessarily what's going to be good or interesting. Or Yeah. And I also think that, you know, I think it's important that, like, you know, I'm loath to call comedy art, really, because I'm not sure that what I do is art. But I do think that any kind of performance or any kind of art should reflect, you know, people. Yeah. People, like the, 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 divi- the diverseness of all different groups. And yeah, all hold a mirror people. up to nature, not yeah, just one exactly, particular. Yeah, yeah. And, I think that's, and I think that's happening so much more. Like, you know, you just got to go to festivals or, like, you know, here we are at the moment, we're sat in the Soho Theatre... And like you know, the screens playing of who's coming here in the next few months, and there's lots of boys, there's lots of girls, there's lots of people of different ethnicities. Yeah, it's there's sketch good. group, there's different, you know. And I think that is what you know, and the Soho is known for being like you know the place to do comedy in London. Well, it's broadening out what people feel safe calling comedy. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. A comedy is is about like comfort, but also about discomfort. Like you need to have yeah. a back and forth. And and if some if you come on stage feeling unconfident people can smell that and then Mm. they don't feel safe and so they won't feel comfortable going to uncomfortable places with you yeah i guess so or accepting what you say or you know they won't be going oh yeah i do that that's silly yeah because they don't want you to call them silly because they don't trust you whereas if if you're a friend and they feel comfortable with you then you can say whatever you want and people will feel happy and yeah, I think that's true. And you can say something, you know, a bit mean or a bit edgy or a bit Yeah, and they'll be like, oh, no, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, oh, my friend does that or I do that. Oh, yeah, sometimes I'm a bit of a bitch and sometimes I kind of like being a bit of a bitch too. Yeah. And that's, a, you know, that's okay for people to, yeah. I just give it, I guess, giving people choices and it being, yeah. Yeah, it's the difference between a friend criticising you and some weird nervous person on the bus criticising you. Yeah. Like, it, there's there's one of those that you're happy with and in fact you really enjoy and you yeah. like it and it feels honest and, and refreshing and nice and the other one just makes you feel like Ew, yeah exactly too real, that. Mate. Like yeah yeah exactly that exactly that so y- what do you think is the difference between club and festival for you for me uh, my club stuff I, I pretty much take everything that I do in a show and put it into a club into a club set uh, but for me my club stuff has to be really sharp, like not that, like really quick to get to gags. It depends what club you're playing. There are some clubs that you can go and do, you know, a, a long routine that people will really get behind, and you can be, you know, it can be a minute before you hit a gag, and they'll go, "That's that's fine. I'm willing to wait." But there are some environments, you know, if you're at the store on a Saturday night, you got to get a gag out quick. Yeah. You know, because there's 400 punters there that are paid to laugh and they want to laugh. Whereas at a festival, I think people are more willing to be taken on a bit of a journey. That's what it is for me anyway. And that's what I like doing. I like, you know, I'm, I, I like to think that my, in my club 20, my gag rate is quite quick and quite good. In my shows, I think I've got loads and loads of gags, but I also want to take people on a bit of a, 
I want there to be a journey from A to B. I want there to be something that we've shared or that I've, you know, that I've that opened you've achieved up about. Together. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I, I guess that's the difference. But I do think that I do think that occasionally uh, festivals, not necessarily festival comics, but occasionally there's uh, an idea that, like, you know, that club comic is somehow cl- club comedy is somehow lesser. <coughs> and I well, just it comes back to that question of whether comedy is art or not. Yeah, but I just think it's such bollocks. I think I it think is absolute bollocks. I think co- I think comedy is art, but that it needs to pretend to not be art to have the power that it has. I don't, I don't even. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess it does, but I wouldn't even like. I just think there's this sort of idea that it's not as. You know that, that if you play the clubs, you're somehow. I remember someone. Um, who of course remain nameless but someone who is very much a um, who does like sketchy stuff and character stuff in Edinburgh and uh, that I remember them saying to me oh yeah you do the clubs don't you and she said it in such a way that was like sort of damning of the clubs and I got like kind of I got annoyed by it because I thought do you know what it's really hard to yeah. be able to break into the clubs it's really hard to be able to get good enough that uh, an audience that have paid you know good money, not an arts festival, to make them all laugh and to get them on side. It's a real skill that took me fucking, like, you know, fucking hard work to get to. Yeah. And the idea that that's somehow lesser than making people laugh at an arts festival. Yeah, it's a weird sense that we have that if something's popular, it can't be good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it comes back to that sort of <laughs> McIntyre thing that I was saying before, that, like, you know, I, I think that he's wonderful. Um, but there is that thing of, like, you know, anything that's too commercial... Yeah, which is a, a weird trick that some acts have managed, which is to become popular while pretending not to be popular. Oh, and yeah. That, you know, I mean, like, Stuart Lee's hugely successful. Yeah. Hugely successful and wonderful and brilliant and very, very good. But, he, you know, he his his role is sort of like, you know, oh, nothing's worked out for me. And it's like, dude, if my life, if, if you're not working out becomes what I get, I'll be over the bloody moon. Yeah. I mean, for Mark Maron, that was a really interesting yeah. sort of shift when he went from... A lot of his popularity, a lot of his voice, a lot of his, a lot of what was great about him was that he was sort of hard done by, and yeah. that he wasn't afraid to talk about yeah. his own failures. And so, watching the transition or listening to the transition between him being yeah. genuinely put upon and this immense success. Yeah. And I have I have friends who say that they stopped listening once he became successful because he lost that thing about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think some that people sort of manage to maintain that illusion that they are the underdog yeah. even when they're the overdog. Yeah, and I think that happens to like, you know, there's loads and loads of comics that are sort of like, you know, their first DVD will be about not being able to find a girlfriend or not or not having enough money. Do you know what it's like when you're trying to make ends meet, when you're trying to buy a house, when you're trying to get on the property ladder, all that stuff. And then, you know, the next DVD, you know they can afford a house, you know they can afford, and you know they've got girls chasing after them now and whatever else, and it's finding that thing that still makes you... Yeah, that thing that uh, that thing that inside you that's, I don't know, that still makes you an underdog or still makes you low status. Yeah, it's and how hard. Do you, like, you know, how does a millionaire be low status? How does a millionaire with a lovely house, a great partner, you yeah, know, the life that... Fulfilled. How, yeah, how, how is that person still... An underdog. And um, again, it's difficult, you know, if we're going to go back to the woman in clubs thing, it's, it's, it's a difficult line to walk if you're coming on and you have to be high status to a certain extent mm. so that people are listening yeah. to you. Then you're high status, self-deprecating, but yeah. it can't be too self-deprecating because then they'll believe you, you know. Yeah. That's how I found that being a bitch sometimes <laughs> works because it's like somewhere between all of those things of being like, oh, you should listen to me, but I'm a bitch, so maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. And that... But, yeah, I think that... But then but then my on-stage persona changes slightly daily. And no one would notice it other than me. Yeah, it's that... I mean, but it turns audience. up and turns down. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, okay, I'll, I'll change a little bit for you. I Are think you of it as like surfing in that you're trying to keep your head level. You're trying to look like you're delivering yeah, the same yeah. product, but your feet are doing a lot of little adjustments. Yeah, too. yeah, exactly. And, 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 and in doing that, not changing what you want to do and not changing who you are, but working out how you can fit into that yeah you want you want them to eat a certain amount of spinach but how you're going to cook it will depend on yeah exactly that yeah on them is there one thing that you get you say you've been doing a lot of interviews yeah that you got some reviews is there one thing that you consistently find yourself getting that annoys you 
even in positive reviews or is there? I find it, I, I don't like that my gender is always mentioned. Uh, I look forward to a time when I don't have to set up that I'm a gay woman on stage. So do you think I have to, is I it have always your gender and your sexuality or? I don't know. Uh, I guess, I mean, yeah, a mixture of the two, but I, I have to... I have found that I, or that, I, that, I, that I have to do a gag when I come out on stage. Like, I can't just go, so my girlfriend was doing this thing, I have to go, my girlfriend, oh, yeah, you my hair's not an accident. Of it. Yeah, huh. yeah. You, know, uh, you know, I didn't put this shirt on. You know, I, I didn't get dressed in the dark. Whatever, just a little gag so they go, oh, I know I'm gay. Like, you know, so that we, we're all on the same page. Yeah, otherwise, you, you wa- there's that weird thing of, like, the audience going, has she noticed she's gay? Yeah, or like, <laughs> oh, does she mean girlfriend as in a female friend? Does she mean... Yeah. Um, and, you know, my sexuality is often referred to, um, but then it's because I'm not, you know, maybe a white straight man. or, or But... It is a, it, it is I, a I, point I, of difference, but it's annoying when it's... Yeah, although I, to some degree, death like by I think a thousand cuts. Yeah, I think in some de- in some ways it used to annoy me, but now I've got to a stage where I'm like, meh, yeah, it's fine. I think also now it has become a valuable point of difference. I think. Yeah. It start. I mean, even though there are still these uh, things that you fight against, which is like the bookings and the audiences uh, can be weighed slightly against you in other areas it is actually an advantage to be different because there are so many straight white guys yeah i think an advantage i think that just being yeah i think just giving um um, any kind of minority of voice is interesting but then it's very tricky because i speak for myself and in doing that i speak for a lesbian but i don't want to be someone that speaks for lesbians. And particularly if you're the only lesbian on a bill yeah. and maybe in that club that whole month, then it totally, becomes yeah. the only story that gets told. Yeah, that's the thing. And so that's a, that's sort of like, you know, a, a tricky... I remember uh, I was doing I, I was doing a gig and I, I I used to have some material about about sex with men and the fact that I don't... I, I don't find it, like, disgusting or anything. Like, I'm not a woman... I'm not a man-hating lesbian. And I remember... A woman coming up to me afterwards, a gay woman being like, I don't like that you did that. And me being like, well, then you write a set. Yeah. Like, you do it. If you want your story to be told, you do it. Yeah. But I do think there is that thing of, like, if you represent a small... Like, I don't want to represent anybody other than me. Yeah. And that's one of the problems of being a minority is that you start to become Yeah, that because, voice. you know, yeah. A guy, a guy or a straight girl or, you know, goes on stage and you know that there are more than, than just one type of person. But I think if you're, you know, I'll just talk about gay women because that's all I really know about. Because there is such a lack of gay women in the media, like unbelievably so. The fact that Ellen's coming out is still discussed. Yeah. And it happened like 22 years ago. Yeah. Like that episode, had, yeah, 22 years ago in the 90s, like that is still a point of reference. Gives you an idea of how few women come out in the media. Yeah. And because of that that some gay people and this hasn't really happened for me but it's something that I'm sort of aware of like you know will really latch on to gay, gay women are being like you need to you need to be all of my stories yeah yeah, yeah. And you, you need to represent you have the everything. voice you're carrying the flag yeah exactly and it's really hard to you know to to do that because I you know, I definitely, I don't want to represent everyone. I fuck up all the time. I've not got, you know, I'm not, I, w- I was asked to be a role model for a charity once and I was like, I can't well, be a role model. This is the thing like where I everyone who's becomes sort of popular or famous in any way is, is articulated as a role model. Yeah. And that's a, that's a weird thing and it's sort of unavoidable. But, you know, Mike Tyson yeah. is a convicted rapist. Yeah. And I don't think he would necessarily, I don't know him personally, but I don't think he wouldn't w- even necessarily want to be seen as a role model. But by nature of him being where he is and having yep. the eyeballs on him, that that he becomes a role model. Yeah, you exactly. are a model for a role. You are playing a role and that you're the only one out there doing that. So Yeah, and I think that's the thing with uh, being a, a gay girl is that, you know, cause being for gay, you know, I've got a lot of really good pals that are male gay comics. 
And, you know, there's so many options for what kind of gay man you are. Are you a bear? Are you camp? Are you a twink? Are you yeah, straight acting? Are you, you know, there's all these different things. But for a woman, it's like, so you're just gay, right? You just have short hair. Yeah. Like you, you're slightly masculine and... Yeah, and like we don't have the subcultures that gay men do because there are fewer of us and there's... I think it's partly because there are f- fewer... Um, Maybe maybe it's a problem with masculinity in that if you're not like there's a very clear straight man thing and it can be a cage for guys because yeah. they feel like they have to act if you're a straight yeah, man you have to yeah, act yeah, like yeah. a straight man and all straight men are acting like straight men yeah, there's yeah. very few straight men who are just super camp yeah and so anything that's different from straight manhood becomes its own thing that yeah. that, that you have whereas because we you know the way that we think of wom- womanhood is is different from that. Well, we're already other. Yeah, yeah. You know, we can go back to like sort of, you know, Simone de Beauvoir and say like, you know, being being female is just being the second sex, we're just being other. Yeah, and then I guess to be other, other. Yeah. Is that, it's almost, and also like, you know, a lot of the gay movement have, or not even gay movement, but like, you know, a lot of the gay stories, because, you know, uh, a lot of, m- a lot of men tell stories and so the gay male story is the story that we hear hear more yeah and i think that's the thing of like you know i appreciate i feel like i've spoken a lot about men i want to be very clear that i love men <laughs> um and i love and i love male comics and like you know a lot of my best friends are guys like you know josh widdicombe and ramesh ranganathan and tom allen and they all are brilliant at doing sort of their thing but it doesn't feel like maybe some maybe some for rom because he's asian mm. but I often have that feeling of like really having to represent people and I'm not sure that if as many guys and maybe I'm wrong maybe a lot of guys do feel like they need to represent a a whole group of people but it can be uh, it it can be slightly tricky yeah I mean this is a complete tangent just something that I was thinking of what when you were saying that you kind of feel called on to represent all of of your type as yeah the, yeah you know, that that I, I think one of the reasons that straight guys are so unwilling to say that being a straight guy is an advantage is because it isn't a necessarily an advantage for individual straight guys no you know you'll have it's a certain type of guy that it's an advantage for donald trump you know it's a certain type of guy that has that kind of confidence that was born potentially into wealth like you know or that has that thing like that's when it's you know if you're if you're a white straight man with mental health problems it's no easier for you to be a white straight man than it would be for you to be any other thing yeah you know i, I think that's the thing that it's so people yeah. people resent being told that they are part of a group if they don't feel the advantages yeah. of being part of that group even you know straight white comedians yeah if you're totally. an open micer it is as hard or harder for you to make your way up the ranks. Oh, yeah. So Even many white male comics will say to you. Because oh, you there know, are so many other of there's your... So m- there's so many like me. There's so many guys like me. That's why it's, you know, like it's so hard to break I, through. I have a limited amount of patience for that because part of me just goes, well, be different then. Yeah. And like also your story's being told. Mm. If, you ha- if you have something enough to tell, yeah. then, you know, people will hear you. Be a, be a different voice, or yeah, I think so. Because I think that, that that's the thing that is most exciting is diversity. Yeah, uh, in any way, you know, whether that be race or sexuality or religion or and maybe for straight white guys, being straight and white was enough for a long time. But now they have to be individual and distinct voices, and they do have to they have to represent themselves in a an interesting and unique way. Yeah, I think so. And that feels harder than than just being able to walk in and get a job. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I've never thought about it in that way, but yeah, maybe. I hadn't thought about it in that way either, but that you just made me think of that. Well there you go. Thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so where can people find you online? Uh, I am uh, I am on Twitter, at Susie Ruffle. I'm on Instagram, at Susie Ruffle. And if you think you might like uh, something else I do, I do a podcast with a comedian called Tom Allen, and it's Who's called Like... Mi- brilliant. He's wonderful, and it's called Like-Minded Friends. And it's a bit gay, but it doesn't matter if you're gay. You can you can still listen to it. You can be a. You're you allowed to listen. You're, you're, if you're totally not. you're totally allowed to. You're actively encouraged to actually. Um, uh, yeah, and then, and then I've got a website which is suzyruffle.co.uk. It's good. You you've got all the bases. Instagram. Yep, Susie Ruffle. Snapchat. Nah, <laughs> too old. 
Too old for Snapchat. Oh, that's interesting. You've, out, you've outlived Snapchat. Yes, yeah, done. Oh, well, it's all downhill from here. Thank that's you so much for coming on the podcast. No problem. Yeah. Thank you. Loudy rifles on.